Boulder Hill is this intensely secret base. And like 10 minutes later, Venom shows up. And I think everybody will probably agree with this, but I really liked the head-to-head battle with the vehicles towards uh, towards the latter portion of this comic. It felt like they were really just using uh, a very generic leftover episode script that maybe had been decided to not be good enough for the TV show. Select the mask agents best suited for this mission. Jason G, DJ, movie writer, 80s guru, vehicle code name, Frontier. Wyatt B, sound engineer, movie writer, airman, vehicle code name, Dakota. Personnel approved. Assemble Mobile Armored Strike Command. Welcome, faithful listeners, to episode 36 of MassCast. After a long intermission, we are back to talk about the first series of U.S. comic books produced by DC Comics in 1985 and 86. We will be reviewing all four issues tonight, along with a very special guest, my name is Jason, and for the first time, I can look over my shoulder and introduce my co-host, Wyatt. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for asking. <laughs> and also on the line with us, making his third appearance on MassCast. I think that's a new record. Um, our resident comic book expert, it's Eric from BoulderHill.net. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate you being on the line, Eric. Hopefully, uh, Skype will... Keep uh, keep working for us. Uh, we hear some people going in and out, or uh, maybe lightning and thunder. Uh, you know, just bear with us, people. It's just, uh, it's, we've been having some issues. But um, before we get into what's new with Eric and over at BoulderHill.net, um, Wyatt and I wanted to invite everyone over to our new site, AgentsOfMask.com. Wyatt and I are planning to go into more detail on a future mass cast about the site, but for now, just click on over and check out our first blog post, actually of this year, <laughs> was on uh, April 1st. And it was the fools, I mean, that was not the fools. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're hoping that wasn't going to play in, but apparently everybody thought it was legit. Um just read the, the first blog post and it'll tell a little bit more about the name change and our new quote-unquote objective with the website. But we're still promoting our movie script, so uh, Mask the Movie, we might not be known as them anymore, but um, we are still we still have our script and are actively promoting it. And I've got some ideas to kind of help move that process along as well. But... Um, since we have many friends in the mask fandom now, like Eric, we've decided to let our script just be one area that we can help promote the mask brand, I guess you would say. So um, be uh, looking forward to another mask cast on that. And uh, let's throw it on over to Eric and, uh, and see what's been up with him over the last several months. Uh, well, nothing too out of the ordinary for me. Uh, just continuing trying to 
scour the world and the internet for more fun tidbits and things that might have not shown up on anyone else's radar for Mask. Uh, we're doing the comic review, and I have the four comics also available on my site right now. So anybody who wants to really see exactly what we're talking about so we don't just sound like some crazy folk uh, can head over and take a peek. Also got, you know, a variety of posts about things. Um, one of the things that I did get a hold of was some of the intro and outro bumpers from the cartoon. And those are up on uh, the site right now. Those are pretty great, in my opinion. They're something that even if you've seen the cartoon, you may not remember those because they were, you know, they're stock footage to let you know that you're going to a commercial break. Also actually had some success selling some of my t-shirts uh, that I launched, I don't know, a little while back. Uh, so hoping to come up with a few more cool ones. Uh, there's very little money made on them, so please don't <laughs> think you're, uh, you're contributing to a, a pyramid scheme or anything. All of that, all of those funds go directly to, uh, well, more mask junk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best kind. It's not mass junk. It's mask investments. Right. There you go. My girlfriend would disagree. Um, <laughs> she would. Yes. I do like the designs. I like the uh, uh, Matt Tracker's, what do you call it, flight suit, I guess. Yeah. Uh, on the gray t-shirt. That looks pretty pretty sweet. Thank you. And then the, uh, the other ones are, if you haven't seen them yet... Um, it's basically kind of taken from the box art, right? Uh, the instruction manual art, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, the instruction manual. That's right. Cleaned it, cleaned it up a little bit, and just sort of made it a little more presentable for a T-shirt. I've got two or three of them right now: Condor, Gator, Piranha. Um, I'm trying to get a hold of more instruction manuals so I can create more. Uh, unfortunately, despite my large collection, I don't have a ton of the manuals. Um, I don't have one for Thunderhawk or Switchblade, which I would really like to get a hold of. Uh, if someone wants to scan that for me in high resolution, I'd be greatly appreciative <laughs> of it. But I might be able to accommodate you there. Oh, that would be really, really <laughs> awesome then. So I have, I have, I have a good deal of the uh, the uh, instruction manuals. Maybe about half of oh. them all. So yeah, I'll I just have to look that I, up for you. I only have the manuals for later series stuff, unfortunately. Somehow my, my Series 1 toys, most of them... I have the boxes, um, but I don't seem to have the manuals. Well, that's cool, man. I'm, we're looking forward to more of those t-shirts. and uh, Yeah, I, I did check out the uh, the bumpers, I guess you would say, uh, on the site. and It's cool to have those on there as well. So, all right, well, uh, I guess you guys, are you ready to uh, to go ahead and get into the comics? Sure, let's do it. Let's start the Masscast. Masscast. All right, so the format of tonight's podcast is um, we're going to go through uh, each of the four issues. Um, we're going to give kind of an overview to begin with, and then we'll have kind of a mask roundtable um, about... Uh, our likes, our dislikes, we're going to compare a little bit to the cartoon, um, and just basically kind of give our own little review of each issue. So the uh, we'll start with the first one, of course, um, which is entitled, When Opportunity Knocks. 
And the story begins with Thunderhawk on the deck of the PNA aircraft carrier in the Atlantic Ocean. We find that Matt Tracker is helping the PNA recover a sunken defense satellite. Wanting the device for themselves, Venom is seen spying on Matt and trails him back to Boulder Hill for an epic battle. Defeated, Miles Mayhem and his agents retreat, which allows Matt to take Scott and T-Bob on a promised vacation. While at a carnival, Matt is summoned to mask business and sends Scott scooting back to the hotel. Scooting in quotations. Matt learns quickly from the PNA leader, Dwayne, that the entire gold reserve at Fort Knox has vanished. He then summons the best agents for the mission. The team discovers a secret tunnel and then a digging machine used by Slyrax and Cliff Dagger to steal the gold. And as they manage to secure the gold from the swindlers, Matt wonders why mayhem is nowhere to be found. With the mission complete, Matt returns to a ransacked hotel room and Scott and T-Bob seemingly kidnapped by mayhem. And that is your little wrap-up for the uh, the first issue. Let's throw it over to Eric first and uh, give us your thoughts on this first issue. Well, as a general overall issue, I thought it was pretty great. Um, I thought it was something that could have been an episode of the cartoon, but because it was in the comic book format, they seemed to have an opportunity to expand on some of the non-action stuff a little more while i was reading these i was kind of also in my head thinking back and comparing it versus the mini comics that we talked about uh before and you know we kind of agreed that those were a little more different whereas i felt like these tied closer to the show um the art was great uh really dynamic Lots of great action scenes, uh, views of the vehicles, views of the characters, views of the masks. All of that was there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Wyatt, you want to give your uh, want to jump in? Sure. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I like, and I'm. I'm. I'll have to admit that I'm quite a novice to comic books, so uh, I don't know the details like Eric might, or even Jason. I, I do like the artwork. It's really actually captivating for me to see uh, how they how they handle that artwork uh, as far as showing animation, showing movement, and so forth. What I really like, though, I guess for the novice side of me, is uh, how the they use this aircraft carrier. It's the PNAs. Thunderhawk is the lone vehicle. There's no other jets parked on it, and they. Uh, just it was just awesome to see that little that little bit. I liked the uh, mission that they used for the Challenger and the kind of the Star Wars uh, missile defense type theme. Um, but what the only thing I, I didn't quite like, at least about the storyline, was that it seems like the PNA is directing Mask, where in the cartoon it there there seem to be partners. Yeah, yeah, I got that vibe as well in uh, in some of the later issues, and I I did like the the aircraft carrier shot as well, and I thought about man, if we ever get to writing a sequel, uh, <laughs> right there, that would be an awesome shot of uh, of having Thunderhawk land on an aircraft carrier. Um, the scenes with the people on the deck was kind of corny, where they're like giggling about 
what is this car doing here? And Matt Tracker had to have this car, you know, like, uh, towed on to the ship, basically. <laughs> I think <laughs> At the that, beginning. I think that scene, I mean, I'm sure that scene was intended for somebody who was unfamiliar with right. the show. Yeah. And for all of us who know the show reading it, you're going, well, of course these guys are, you know, these yeah. guys are the yeah. ones who look like idiots. They don't know what <laughs> Thunderhawk does. But for somebody who's uninitiated, you know, then you go to that next page and all of a sudden Thunderhawk leaps, you know, rockets off of the aircraft yeah. carrier and takes off. That'd be a cool thing if I had no idea what mask is. I went, well, okay, I want to see what's happening. A flying car, that's always worth checking out. One thing that did bother me about this issue is that, like, Matt and then also sort of the narration emphasize about how Boulder Hill is this intensely secret base and like 10 minutes later venom shows up yeah <laughs> and they know where the trap door is they know where everything is they have <laughs> they have google maps on this thing or something it's terrible <laughs> there's absolutely no secret. and i think they even know that matt is the one who leads mask it's it's his identity isn't even a secret it's right. like the worst kept secret in the world it was it is if it's not a secret, it's okay. It's not a secret. But to say it's a secret and then literally let it fall apart from one page to the next, a little ridiculous. I agree. Yeah, I was on that same. I, it was You could tell that um, it, at least it seemed like the people that, that wrote the story, the toys had already been out. you know, And they're kind of incorporating, oh, we got to get this trap door on Boulder Hill into the story, you know, and minute <laughs> but of you know of course like mayhem knows about it and sees that as kind of a i guess a vulnerability if i remember correctly but right i don't know that was just kind of weird and i'm yeah i'm on the same thought process as you there one thing i'd really liked um anyone who's seen the show knows that during the part of the episodes when the agents retrieve their masks it's repeated footage that footage is the same in every episode. The little energizing thing happens, the masks come down, they grab them, and the episode rolls on. So if you saw it in the first episode, you saw it in all the other episodes. But in the comic, uh, you got to see some really cool new art showing the command room, the mask room, whatever you would call it. And uh, so you see the mask coming down, and then you see a different take on them energizing. You see the agents putting their masks on. All that was great. And then also, for anyone who has had a chance to look through it, the very last page was actually a bonus page uh, that was like a blueprint. They called it Behind the Bunker. And there were a couple of shots of inside Boulder Hill, which I thought was great. Because to me, Boulder Hill was always awesome. I mean, it was one of the best toy play sets that ever came out. So, Right, I could agree. And I liked the, uh, you reminded me, it's been a little while since I saw the, read through the first uh, comic, and I did really enjoy seeing uh, those blueprints. I really enjoyed it. I, I, it fascinates me that someone goes into that great of a detail for whatever the project is. I know, getting slightly off track, looking at like Airwolf or even Knight Rider, you'd see the wall posts of, of the uh, behind the scenes or the, 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 that detail, the blueprint. And I, that fascinated me that someone, they didn't throw, just haphazardly throw a TV show together and call it good. They they spent time with it. And that's what I 
like about this issue uh, is that the, those blueprints there on the end. I will say that I was actually pretty sad because the next three issues don't have a blueprint page at the end. True. Um, and I was really looking forward to more of that, hoping to see a blueprint for maybe Thunderhawk or Switchblade or T-Bob or something like that. Yes, definitely. That was kind of a letdown, especially when they tease us like that. But I think one of the uh, comics had a, uh, what was it, a preview of the next cover, I think, at the end. Possibly. So, yeah, it was, that was a great page to just to kind of throw in there as a bonus. Oh, but. yeah. The, the second issue has a, um, has a, like, but it, it's a preview of the third issue cover, but it's done in all blue. Right. Yes, that's what I remember seeing. So yes, they used it as a as a little preview. I would have rather have had more blueprints, but. <laughs> All right. Uh, going back to this story for issue number one, what? How did you guys feel about the whole Fort Knox thing? Uh, Wyatt, let's start with you. Well, I guess I liked the initial um, intent, as they're always going for money, always going for gold or, or some kind of resource. Uh, it was a good theme, but um, for me, that's all it had going for it. I, I uh, it, it it seemed a, a little weak, in my opinion, because they weren't focused as much on Fort Knox like I thought they would be. Like in the cartoon, it seems to be almost a good half of the cartoon. But of course, I'm comparing it to the cartoon, not as a uh, unknowing to mask new reader. So. Uh, but that's my take on it. What about you, Eric? What did you think of the Fort Knox story? It had, I agree with Wyatt, it had a strong concept to start with, but then it sort of didn't get all the way there. Uh, the fact that we don't ever see any gold is really weird. How do you rob Fort Knox and not show me <laughs> the gold? I want to exactly. see I want to see gold bars. Um it felt like they were really just using a, a very generic leftover episode script that maybe had been decided to not be good enough for the TV show. Or perhaps a James Bond movie. Yeah, uh, especially you know knowing now that the next three issues have what I would consider much stronger stories, um, I thought that the story was not that exciting compared to the others. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you on that. And I mean, it had the good s- start. I mean, they're talking about the defense satellite, and then all of a sudden, it's just boom, we got it, and switch, and we're on to you know Fort Knox um, and stopping these crazy Venom guys from stealing gold. So, I mean, for me, um, as we kind of get into the the last part of our review here and kind of our ranking among the four, I. I put it last i put it as my fourth favorite um i would agree it just it just felt the i don't know i guess least original um compared to the other three issues um but you know at the same time it was still good there was you had the kind of suspense at the end and as you you know in a series of comic books you're gonna go have a kind of a cliffhanger there um where scott and t-bob are kidnapped which was good but yeah i i just was not into the uh like you said there's no you don't see the gold and i think they have a little bit of a battle there but it's nothing it's more like oh we've got you you know kind of a 
you know, they kind of surprise him there, but there's no real kind of showdown. There was so. there was a lot of work in setting up the rest of the story because this is a mini series. It's not a, it's not four right. single issues, uh, four single stories. They're, they each have their own self-contained story, but as an overall whole, they're supposed to create a bigger story. This one, uh, I think they missed the balance on that. They did too much setup for the rest and not enough of the self-contained part. So there's some really good stuff to let you know. Well, there's great stuff letting you know great stuff is coming. But it almost makes the whole issue into a giant trailer. Yeah. Why would you? How'd you rank this one? I'm going to have to be on... On the bandwagon here, and just call it the the worst of the bunch. Uh, like you like you said, it just seems like it was uh, like the leftover or the one that got thrown out for the for the series, the TV series. Uh, just uh, to me, it didn't uh, it just didn't flow or didn't grab a hold of of my attention like uh, the other the other three comics did. It does have a great cover, though. Yes. The cover is definitely something that would grab you. Um, I was unable to decide on which was the second best cover. I chose the fourth one as the best, but I find that issues two and three have equally great second place covers. And uh, issue three, I, I actually don't care for the cover very much. <laughs> I think the artwork on it is it's by a different artist, I think, and I, I don't really like the style. We can get into that when we get to issue yeah. three. I'm kind of with you on that as well, but okay. Well, let's put a we'll put a cap on issue number one, and uh, we'll head on over to issue two, which was called the Domain of the Dead. Um, and it featured basically the same creative team as the one on the first. The story begins with Thunderhawk flying over two Egyptian pyramids. Building on where the story ended in issue one, Bruce asks Matt if a local professor can help with a clue found in Matt's hotel room that might lead to finding Scott and T-Bob. Meanwhile, Professor Ginsberg and his assistant are exploring a pyramid to prove the existence of the Lord of the Underworld, Anubis. After staying, he has plenty of time to meet with Matt. He presses on and uncovers a secret burial chamber in the floor. Brushing themselves off, the professor backs into Anubis himself, along with several awakened mummies. Anubis explains the waning of his powers throughout the years and how he's now free to escape and re-establish his realm. Matt and Bruce arrive at the local hotel and do one last check of their mask equipment before heading to the museum. Upon arrival, they are told the professor is running late and then are surprised by Anubis and his band of mummies. They take some treasures meant for Anubis and restrain the armed guards at the museum. Matt and Bruce waste no time putting on their masks and getting into battle. An ear-piercing blast from Spectrum subdues Anubis, with Bruce saving the security guards from a fallen statue. Way to go, Lifter. Amongst the chaos, Anubis and his mummies escape. And then Dwayne Kennedy from the PNA contacts Matt and orders him to use new agent Nash Gorey in the search for Scott. Matt reluctantly obliges and then summons more mass agents for the mission. The penny drops on the true identity of Anubis and his band of mummies. Of course, it's Venom. With the professor, Scott and T-Bob locked away, 
Miles Mayhem awaits to ambush the other mass team members. Nash Gorey drops in, and Matt introduces him, an outlaw, to the team. They roll out to the gig that the professor had been working on and are attacked by Venom from behind. After fending off the attack, Venom retreats to inside the tomb. Mask follows with Nash Gorey staying behind, and the team is lured into the same trapdoor and plummets to the bottom. A mask battle ensues, with Mayhem caving in the ceiling and separates him and the Venom agents for a timely escape. And then Matt finds the captives and the missing treasure stolen from the museum, as the team then attempts to exit the tomb with Outlaw pushing a large boulder against the entrance, leaving a to-be-continued. So, that's our small little recap of issue number two. Uh, Wyatt, let's say let's have you go first. Well, I'll tell you, I I like this a lot better. It seemed like it, um, lack of a better term, it gelled a lot better um, than the first. I guess what fascinated me is I started to notice uh, a little more detail in the artistry. For instance, uh, one of the first images is you have Matt and Bruce flying in Thunderhawk, and it looks like. They're, the artist is trying to portray that they're exhausted, at least their, their look is, that they're exhausted from their search or their quest. Perhaps maybe they're dismayed. I'm not sure what the true look is, but they're, they're just, to me, it looks like they're exhausted. But I liked the, uh, the lure of the Anubis myth that they're trying to find. The battles were okay. Um... I did like the perceived drama with uh, with the team looking for Scott and T-Bob, along with the professor. I liked it towards the suspense towards the end where they, with the mask being trapped uh, by their new recruit. Um, but only, I guess, major dislike, and this is me being nitpicky, is, is during the call-up, they make a mistake with Hondo. They call the Hurricane Chevy car, they actually call it the Firecracker Pickup. And uh, I was a little disappointed there that they, that they did that. Oh, really? <laughs> I missed that. I'm not familiar with uh, Jacques or Julio, so I don't know if that's their correct car, so forgive me for that. But that, that yes. Uh, yes. I did pick that one out. Um, Vol- Volcano is the motorized uh, van. Right. That has Correct. The, it has the rotating turret, and Dragonfly is the uh, race car that every kid had, and also that every kid broke. <laughs> I did not have that car, so you can't count me. <sighs> you're ruining my. You're ruining my completely unbased statistics. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, but overall, I, I liked it a lot better than uh, the first issue. All right, I tend to agree. Um, Eric, what say you? Uh, I definitely think this issue was much more cohesive than the first issue. We still have some of those elements that are leading up to the big story, but at the same time, they don't lose focus and forget to deal with the story at hand. Exactly. Uh, it's a really cool story from like a, it's a very classic kind of mask it's a ridiculous hoax to try to seize money or power i mean the egyptian god thing is cool it gave him a really great opportunity to draw some characters um 
we saw a really great couple of uses of the masks, which I'm always a sucker for that. I mean, the show was called Mask. Let's be honest. If you don't want to see the masks, <laughs> go watch something else. Go read something else. Uh, I like the call-ups. I meant to mention that about uh, issue one. Uh, they can't do it the way they do it in the cartoon where they show a clip of the different agents doing something silly. But I really liked the simple design that also yes. really quickly brought in the character right. to the readers and to the audience, especially if you're not familiar with them. That's, yep. that's really cool. Another thing is that there was a handful of great battle pages, really dynamic battle pages, a good four or five pages at the end of the story. I'm also really biased because page 16, which involves Dragonflight taking off, uh, it, involve, it shows Outlaw transforming, it shows Rhino. I actually was able to purchase the original art for that page from Joe Delbito, the original artist, and I hope I said his name right. Um, nice. And I've been meaning to put that up on the site forever, but it's big, and so it's, it doesn't fit on my little cheap scanner that I have, so I haven't managed to figure out a way to do that, but in honor of this podcast, uh, I'm going to make a concerted effort for that. And I can tell you that the printing for these comics does not do the original art justice. The original art is really crisp and really clean and actually better than it looks, and it looks great in the comics. One thing, my, my small little complaint, just to be nitpicky, is... I felt like Matt should have been a little more upset that his son was kidnapped. He's <laughs> taking it really well. I know Scott's annoying, and you do have the added bonus of getting rid of T-Bob for a while, but he is your son. Like, be a little more upset. <laughs> That's a personal opinion there. Yeah. Well, Matt, I mean, there, it's not often in the cartoon, at least... I only remember maybe a couple times where he's really concerned about Scott's well-being. Um, Star Chariot, when I, Scott dies, <laughs> and then no. and then doesn't die because right, aliens. right. Um, and then I think it it might have been the last episode we reviewed where he and T Bob fall down a ravine and uh, Matt just yells out Scott, you know, and. And then uh, Bruce flies in with uh, Thunderhawk, and they miraculously grab the wings of Thunderhawk, and he flies them to safety. Yeah, right. Uh, that was a little little crazy, but for the most part, Matt's kind of level-headed, you know, through the whole thing. He doesn't show too much emotion. Right. You don't really hear a lot, and I think the episodes where Doug Stone really you know, kind of expresses that emotion are, are some of the better ones, but I'm, I'm with you on that. And I did have in my notes that, um, about the battle scenes with the vehicles and then in the tomb with the masks, they were really well drawn and, uh, well done on the pages. And, and even the expressions, the close-ups in this one seemed, I don't know if they seemed better than just the first one or, or they seemed, uh, kind of the best of the of the four you've got some great close-ups of uh like Wyatt mentioned uh, Matt and Bruce at the beginning and and even with the uh with all the agents together and then there's one let's see on uh on page 12 where you get this real close-up of mayhem and he's kind of gritting and kind of a halfway smile 
and uh, you can really see the expressions on his face about we're going to massacre them, you know. But this was definitely, I think, my favorite of the four. Um, the story with the Anubis and that whole setup, that just seemed like a mask episode to me. Yeah. Um, straight out of the cartoon, kind of that over-the-top, you know, going out of the way to fool somebody and to, uh, you know, the, the, with the disguises and everything. Um, I really enjoyed that. It, it, it seemed to have a little bit of everything um, is what I what I kind of put in my notes. But um, how would you guys rank this out of the four, Wyatt? I think this would be a build-up. I would think this was, uh, I guess, number three, as uh, the first one was number four. I think that's really where I would stand on this. Okay. I'm really hard-pressed to uh, rank issues two, three, and four. Uh, While I agree that one was the first issue, number one was weak, I felt like two, three, and four all brought different great things to the table. Um, So I would be really hard. I'm going to put two, three, and four is tied for number one, and that's probably the best I can get. (laughs) I had one other thing to go back before. Uh, Go ahead. One thing I really liked about this, and this is something we never saw in the cartoons, to my knowledge, is that at the beginning of the issue, Matt is in Thunderhawk with Bruce, just as Wyatt mentioned, uh, and as such, he's wearing his normal Spectrum flight suit. However, later on, after he's called the rest of the agents in, he's now riding in Rhino as the co-pilot to Bruce, and we see that he has switched to using Ultra Flash. And for whatever... I noticed that. Uh, on page 12, in the bottom right corner is the first time you get to see that same page where Miles has the, the crazy uh-huh. smile. Uh, you get to see that he switched uniforms. And for some reason, that just struck me as really cool. It felt like a great piece of attention to detail. Um, an artist who wasn't paying attention could have easily kept Matt in his Spectrum grays the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it when the people working on something show a little bit of care. Because I care about it as a reader. Yeah, I was trying to remember. I think there was maybe an episode or even two where he goes back and forth, but it's more or less an error and not uh, intentional. Not intentional. Yeah, with uh, with kind of Thunderhawk out of the picture of those last few scenes. There, I mean, that's that's a, a real transition, you know, point that you can kind of put in just within that comic itself. So, very good point. I want to echo your point about the the battle in the tombs. Uh, Page 20. If you're curious what page numbers are, for anybody listening, the bottom corner uh, on most of the pages has a little number that tells you where we're talking about. Page 20, you get to see like five or six different masks being used. You see Lifter, Blaster, Stiletto. uh, They did great detail there. Yeah, it's a really cool... They managed to pack a huge battle scene, to me, in one page, and it doesn't suffer for it. No. It's just... It makes it... It feels like it's... It just, to me, it felt like it was faster and more chaotic as opposed to squished. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's very good. And even in the next... If you flip over to the next page, it's not a mask, but uh, Mayhem is using that special wand of his or staff or whatever it was to 
you know, unleash the boulders down and trap them. Um, one thing that just kind of came up too as I'm as I flip through the pages, it m- might be just me again nitpicking, but it seemed like they're taking their masks off and on a lot. Yes. Yeah. And you don't. I mean, I guess you get some of that in the cartoon, but and maybe it's just hard to express through the pages of a comic book because um, they're trying to get the expressions of the people more than you got a mask on and you can't really see their faces. But it could have been why they've they're taking it off so much. But again, you know, as you're flipping through here, you you know that Venom knows who Mask are and. Mask knows who Venom is, as far as their identities go. So it really is not a, not a big deal. But I don't know. I just don't like seeing Matt running around with his mask tucked under his arm. You know. <laughs> I can speak on that a little bit. Okay. Part of the reason that in the show they don't take off their mask is because you have to remember that uh, animation, up until computers became really a big part of it, was a very it was an expensive process. They were trying to do as cheap as possible and it doesn't cost anything to draw a picture of a helmet. You only have to draw that helmet once. It takes a lot more animation effort to draw a guy speaking, moving his mouth. And so a lot of shows would do things to put them in positions to have to animate less. And I suspect mask was no, uh, you know, no exception to that rule. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, just with the era and everything, but good point there. I do agree that that they run around with their masks off an awful lot, though, considering they're in the middle of like firefights. Yes, <laughs> that's kind of the point too. Yeah, actually, issue three is the one that's really guilty of that. They don't ever put their okay. masks on. <laughs> well, let's uh, what do you, let's say let's go into uh, issue number three. You know, we didn't talk about the cover for issue two. Okay, uh, issue two had a great cover. I think it is really dynamic. It manages to include an awful lot of great stuff. The background shows you what the big deal is, the the Anubis and that's the bad guy. You've got they managed to squeeze in four of the mask vehicles and I think they're drawn excellently, especially Rhino to me over on the left-hand side just looks awesome. Mm-hmm. And then they still managed to give us a really great action pose of Matt who, again, as you've mentioned, Jason, he's not wearing his mask. (laughs) (laughs) But it's okay. I forgive him. He can't yell attack with his mask on, can he? (laughs) I suppose he can with a voice effect. um. (laughs) Gotta have a voice effect. Yeah, no, that that is a a great cover. And even the the cover before with kind of mask in uh, with uh, Matt in the clouds there. <laughs> um, that was still, you know, uh, I see they want to, they want to kind of establish his face, his person, and then also get the spectrum mask in there. But um, yeah, I agree. It's, that was a, you know, you got the pyramid in the background. It's really the only one that incorporates kind of the story and you get a little bit of the background in there. I mean, the the next one does a little bit. I think you can see Big Ben with uh, Switchblade kind of flying with with Matt hanging on. The covers but, for issues one and four could actually have been the covers for any of the four stories because, like you said, they don't actually right. incorporate uh, 
more specific details. Right. Exactly. So, how about okay. you, Wyatt? On, Anything you want to? I'm spot on with all with you both. Actually, I like I like the artwork on this, and I like the detail, like like Jason really uh, pointed out. But I like like you said, Eric, how they put the scene of what's going to happen or the synopsis of what's going to happen in this article right there on the cover. So you have a gl- at least a clue that they're going to be in Egypt. They're going to be battling some mythical creature or, or, or God of, of yesteryear. <laughs> but uh, I, have to, I have to side with you also on the artwork with Rhino. Rhino is very well detailed. I actually like the detail of Thunderhawk as well. I thought that was uh, pretty impressive, to be honest. Yeah, just for a little kind of glimpse at it, and you're looking straight on at Gator with the – they even put the roof gun on there, you know. Right. So, yeah, you know, it's hard, and I, I I can't remember what other comic it was. Maybe it was from the, the mini comics that kind of drew – when you're looking kind of straight at Thunderhawk, it's more kind of angly, and you really don't get that, you know, Camaro front end, but they seem to – capture it pretty well on this one so okay on to issue three sure okay so issue three is called the family jewels and the creative team on the third issue was almost identical to the uh first two we just we had uh, a couple people take over for the basically the colors and letters but uh as far as the inker and the penciler quote unquote uh they were the same as the first two uh, and the script. Issue three. I'm sorry. And the script. And the script. Yes, and the script. Issue three starts off with the cover art teasing us. Mayhem is over London, with Matt Trager hanging on to the Switchblade Skid for dear life. Inside, we pick up where issue two left off with Nash Gory betraying Mask and leaving them trapped. Matt tells Bruce and Hondo to use a hole in the ceiling, along with a little help from Lifter and Blaster. To escape. Matt then gives Dwayne at the PNA an earful after letting Gory and Venom to infiltrate security. Dwayne apologizes, but we learn that Dwayne is actually an imposter. The real Dwayne Kennedy is tied up at Venom headquarters. Uh, we then cut over to an asylum in London about two weeks later. After a brief discussion, an explosion occurs, sending New Scotland Yard on a mission to bring in Mask to investigate. Apparently Venom has broken out a lunatic claiming to be the legendary Guy Fox. During his trip in Thunderhawk, accompanied by Bruce, Matt inputs the mission data and, and the computer selects Dusty Hayes, Calhoun Burns, and Gloria Baker for the mission. Meanwhile, Venom and their new friend hijack some explosives from a London factory with help from their masks. Mask then meets up with Scotland Yard and to launch a plan to protect Parliament from any new Guy Fawkes threat. Uh, the inspector gets a surprise ride in Thunderhawk while the other team members spring into action. Mask parachutes onto the roof of Parliament and foils Venom's goons from causing any damage. After a quick interrogation, the new Guy Fawkes gives up the plan to destroy more London landmarks. The inspector tells Matt he ordered the crown jewels to be moved with the threat of the attack to the London Tower. And just then we learn the move played right into Venom's hands as they capture the jewels from an armored car. 
but Mask doesn't waste any time and arrives on scene as Switchblade carries the jewels away. Matt makes a daring attempt to stop Mayhem by jumping from Thunderhawk onto Switchblade. He cuts the rope and drops the strongbox in a nearby lake. Matt swims to the surface, rescued by Raven, and Gloria and the inspector in the shark vehicle intercept the piranha sub from stealing the strongbox underwater. With the Thunderhawk in need of repair, the mass team decides to retreat to Scotland Yard with the jewels. The story concludes with a scene at Boulder Hill with Outlaw pulling up to the gas pumps. And then Buddy realizes he has been fooled, but it's too late. And we have kind of a cliffhanger there with Nash Gorey holding up a machine gun, basically to, uh, to Buddy's temple. So, uh, Eric, thoughts on issue three? I really liked issue three, just like I liked issue two. I thought it was uh, strong all the way around. It starts off very active, the way all the issues did, really. Uh, they jump right into it. It's not a slow buildup. Uh, one thing that was different starting in this issue is we saw guns. Uh, I don't believe we ever see guns in the cartoon. I don't think or, so. Or if they're in there, you know, it's maybe like a police officer might have one at his side, but not really drawn or ever used or threatened with, um, which made it a little more adult and a little more realistic because, you know, just because they have masks, why not guns? I, I really liked the story in terms of comparing it to a mask story. Could it be a mask episode? Absolutely. A harebrained scheme for Venom to steal the crown jewels. That is 100% in their wheelhouse. Um, why would they need the crazy guy from the insane asylum? They wouldn't, but Hey, it was a really funny sideline to do that. Um, why did we need the constable, the, the Scotland Yard constable? I don't know, but he was fun on the side also. Um, and that's stuff that maybe isn't explained, but also doesn't bother me. I would like to know why mask almost never puts on their masks. That was strange to me, to say the least. Um, Matt, when he jumps out of Thunderhawk, is holding his Spectrum mask in one arm. <laughs> if only he had a convenient place to put it, like his head. Um, another thing that was interesting there is, and this may have been, because I don't know if the, 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 this particular use for Spectrum had been developed yet, but in the cartoon we constantly saw... Matt, chuck himself out of Thunderhawk and activate the worst power ever, Spectrum Hang Glider. <laughs> and this oh, one, come on, you liked it. No, Spectrum Hang Glider makes me angry. <laughs> Spectrum has too many powers, and Spectrum Hang Glider is abusive. That is true. Um, Cyber Tube there. That is a little overkill sometimes. He already can do everything that almost every other agent can do. He doesn't need Hang Glider. Um... But he had a parachute, and I actually kind of liked it. Uh, it was different. It also makes sense for a pilot to, a combat pilot, to have a parachute. True. Uh, I, I don't know that much about the military, but I assume that if you're shooting at people, you assume they might shoot back, your vehicle might get damaged, and you might need to get out. So having a parachute is very logical um, and very cool. Uh I like that we got to see uh, Gulliver Mask get used. We didn't get to see it used in the show a whole lot. Uh, 
you know, there was there was sort of that core group of agents in the cartoon that we saw all the time. We saw Dusty, we saw Hondo, we saw Bruce, Brad, those guys, and they're great. But some of the outlying agents who only came in periodically, um, maybe you didn't always get your fill. And so getting to see a really nice couple shots of that. Uh, the story was solid in that it was ridiculous and completely on track for Venom. I could definitely see this as an episode. Uh, it would have fit right in with all their other schemes to try to steal something both culturally significant and valuable. Right. I don't think it teaches kids good lessons about safety, though, when Matt jumps out of Thunderhawk to try to land on Venom. <laughs> oh, come on. Once again, we, we see that the ultra-secret Boulder Hill is completely compromised by somebody they already know is a bad guy. Oh, my. Yeah, how did that not make it back to uh, headquarters there? Yeah, how did how did Buddy and also isn't Buddy supposed to have contacts with the underworld? How does he not know who Nash Glory is? <laughs> Nash Glory is prominent enough to have his own vehicle and mask with Venom, but at no point does the guy with contacts with the underworld. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Exactly. What say you about this one, Wyatt? Well. You know, I, I honestly didn't like the parachute idea. As much as I am the military man, and yes, you usually have a parachute to hop out of, I guess being used to cartoon, I was expecting Spectrum Hang Glider to be utilized. Um, but I'll tell you, what I really liked uh, is the underwater scene in particular with Piranha and Shark. That was, for me, that was a real captivating read for me to see that battle going on between the two. Uh, the rest of it was great animation, great battle. Again, I have no idea why Matt just refuses to wear his mask in this comic. <laughs> uh, especially as you're jumping out of Thunderhawk to land on a landing skid for no reason. I guess, well, there was a reason to cut the Cut the strong box off, but to me, uh, as I not a good reason. knew that did not make any safety sense. And of course, like you pointed out, where was the PSA for that? <laughs> yeah, no room for a PSA in the comics. But uh, to be honest, that was the really what I the greatest likes and dislikes of the whole comic. It was it was a very enjoyable read, though, uh, much more so than uh, the first one. What say you? Well, excuse me for uh, nitpicking it to death, but uh, I'm going to. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel bad for poor Bruce. I mean, he's just jumping out of the freaking Thunderhawk. Take over, buddy. You know, it's not like uh, Michael Knight asking Kit to take over. He's Matt gotta, did like, <laughs> Matt quick, did that grab to the, the wheel, you know? Matt did that to the constable who knows nothing about Thunderhawk. So. Like, he started the stories. <laughs> That's right. Right. <laughs> Well, and then, you know, I love the part where, yeah, he's up with the inspector and, you know, he's all surprised that uh, he's in this flying Camaro. And then he looks down at the ground and says something about, well, what about this Corvette? How is he going to be able to keep up? You know, it's like um, you're in a flying Camaro. I'm sure there's a way that this thing is going to transform and keep up, you know, or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but but um, the dynamics, it's a Camaro versus a Corvette. 
<laughs> well, okay, I got you. Um, okay, and then I might have missed something too in between, but they left all the gold behind uh, at Fort Knox. They left all these jewels behind in Egypt. Um, and <laughs> so now they're going after the crown jewels. I mean, it is ridiculous in the in the fact that yes, this could probably be a a cartoon episode because it is just ridiculous enough to do that but with bombs. Like you said, with the bombs and the guns that were present, they'd have to you know scale back a little bit or something, cut those out. You know, like they did in the the uh, the updated version of ET where they change the guy's guns to like walkie talkies or something. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, some of the other things that just didn't sit right with me were, it seemed like I, maybe I missed who the real or who the, uh, impersonator was of, uh, of Dwayne from the PNA, but I, I guess it was just a venom minion. Yes. And it didn't seem like, these minions were totally capable of pulling off a whole <laughs> a whole uh, impersonation scheme there but uh you know i don't know apparently they they were but you know they're like sitting around playing cards and they're on the uh, big screen with this poor minion that got the job of uh, impersonating the guy and giving him a hard time you know i'm like okay they should have put you know like sly there or somebody one of the agents under the makeup, so to speak. Right. I thought that would have been better, but um, I did like, you know, they're using, you know, actual places and historical events and and stuff like that, and they do that in the cartoon as well, where they, you know, go to specific places and they'll play on a a certain point in history or or, or something. So that was really good. And then just echoing what you all said about the the hang glider. I am used to seeing that as well. Why, why didn't they use that power there? Well, maybe I don't know. I, probably by this point, the uh, the first season was was pretty much released. I think this one was published in uh, early '86, where most of the episodes, I think, of season one were all in late '85, right? But you know, maybe they're wanting just to kind of do their own thing. They give them a few things to kind of go with, but they're not you know, in tune with the cartoon, but they may have agreed with me that spectrum hang glider made them it's angry. True. That's very true. That's very true. Um, why is Nash Gory advertising venom on his, <laughs> on his rig? You know, at the end he's like wiping off the dirt and he sees the venom sign on the rig. Oh my God. But <laughs> That's a cool well, something I forgot to mention is why is dusty in this issue? Uh, if you'll notice, he's in the call-up, and he's not in the rest of the issue. Oh, really? <laughs> he has one line where he says, like, howdy, partner, and then he doesn't show up again until the end when they're like, "Weehoo, we got the crown jewels back. <laughs> we don't see, we that. do not see Gator involved in combat. No, it's Shark, yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah, there, I guess there are some mistakes in there, but. I'm I'm with Wyatt on the uh, on the underwater scenes. Um, they were really well drawn and and done. Uh, the action and everything, the way I think it's on page. Let me look here. I'm not sure which page this is, but it's got shark kind of coming into the bottom three scenes of the page. Um, it looks like page twenty. 
it's it's just an awesome action shot into like the rest of what's going on there. I, so I, I like this page. I couldn't remember the page. I didn't jot it down. But. All right, but if, I I did ask, I guess, too many questions. Although I felt the story, like you said, kind of fit pretty well. But I think I ranked this one the third best out of the four. Um, and just as I was thinking of it, as we were talking too, as well, especially back over here to Wyatt. Um, the stories where, you know, like in this one where Mayhem is in the helicopter and he sees Matt on his little screen in there hanging from the skid of the side and he, you know, yells out, Tracker! You know, that kind of fits more in with our world in the script where they all know each other and they're, you know, Matt is calling him Miles and Miles is calling him mainly Tracker that kind of fits in kind of our world a little bit better as well. But overall, you know, like I said, the the story was great. I would rank it the third best out of all of them. Um, Let's kick it back over to Eric. I know you said you weren't, you were kind of tying the the last three issues here as kind of the, the best, but um, I guess, I guess if I'm pressed, um, I can put this one as the third best also, though my criteria for that is going to be actually because of the cover. Uh, the cover is done by a different artist, and I don't have a problem with that inherently. Um, I would have liked if they were all consistent, because I really like the art on the other three. My big concern is that um, the artist clearly was not given a very good description of Miles Mayhem. And instead of looking like an old Saddam Hussein, which is kind of what he always did look like... Um, <laughs> You know, he uh, well, who is who is driving Condor too? It looks like some one of the Scotland Yard dudes or something. Uh, He's got like a hat on. It looks like I don't know. Maybe or just a not great drawing of the Hocus Pocus mask. I can maybe forgive that one, but it's very clear that instead of being a gray-haired man with a you know bit of a paunch and a bushy gray mustache, we have like a jet black clean-shaven, you know, fit man in a power suit or whatever yelling at Matt, and that yeah, He's just, all like on a business trip. <laughs> yeah, he's like, happy landings, Tracker. That's that's an okay line. I mean, that's a pretty cheesy line. That's right up Mayhem's alley. But uh, it doesn't look like Mayhem. And it, if there was a guest ca- it made me originally think that maybe there was a guest character, you know, or somebody else. Um Yes. But it's not. It's just a big mistake. True, true, and, yeah. And that, and that pushes this issue um, down for me because I think the cover is uh, really important for a comic book. You're, you know, that's that's your first that's your first chance. It's your best chance to sell what you're selling to uh, a new audience member to hook them to get them interested, and also to keep the people who are already interested staying with you. I agree. Definitely agree. Wyatt, you got any final thoughts on issue three? Well, I know I ranked this uh, the second. I'm going to be the oddball and have uh, as much detail of uh, like and dislikes. I guess what I thought of throughout it was it really was a captivating story for me, at least the ideas that they that they had. Uh, and I guess that's what drew me was how it really fit the whole whole connection between 
uh, from the first and, and then, of course, into the fourth. Uh, it just seemed to marry very well for me. And I guess that's why I pushed it up a little bit uh, to the two. Cool. Okay, well, let's... Um, the last one. Yep, let's press on to the last one. This one was titled The Ray of Doom. And we had pretty much the same creative team on the fourth and final issue. Um, as for issue number three, the cover to the final issue gives us a seven-agent montage against an explosive background with the emphatic word Endgame underneath. The climax begins with Nash Glory forcing Alex Sector and Buddy Hawks to load the secret PNA satellite into Outlaw and then locking them in the Boulder Hill Jail. We are then taken to the Louvre uh, Museum in Paris where a robbery has taken place. On their way back to the USA, Matt receives a direct order from Dwayne Kennedy at PNA to assist the situation. Matt feels something is not quite right with Dwayne's tone and uncovers a clue. We cut then to the Kennedy Space Center, where Venom agents use their masks to subdue three NASA astronauts preparing for launch. Back at Boulder Hill, Buddy devises a plan to escape the jail. Then we cut right back to the Louvre, where Mask is on scene, and Matt reveals that the paintings weren't actually missing at all, with the help of Spectrum and Dusty's backlash. Buddy's plan to escape the jail cell works and radios Matt about Nash Gory, which I guess he should have already known about. Uh, Sly Rax, Vanessa Warfield, and Floyd Malloy are revealed as the astronauts inside the space shuttle. After rigging the satellite, the shuttle lands in the desert for a demonstration to show the U.S. president. When he initiates the satellite's weapon, it destroys the space shuttle and causes a panic amongst the people. Mayhem explains to his crew that the Death Ray will make its way across America to destroy all the weapon stockpiles in order for Venom and Contra World to unleash an attack on the world. But his first priority, of course, is a little funding trip to Las Vegas. Matt finally understands that these international missions were nothing but a distraction from the real plan. Alex and Bruce work on pinpointing the location of the satellite aboard Rhino as Hondo heads to evacuate the city in the Death Ray's path. Venom continues to pilfer banks and casinos in Las Vegas as Mask arrives on scene. A battle ensues between Mask and Venom as Dwayne Kennedy looks on. Authorities bust into his office and unmask the imposter while demanding the location of the real Dwayne Kennedy. Mask wins the battle, disabling Venom and finally the Death Ray with a Rhino missile. With the conflict resolved, Matt reflects on the situation a few days later. Okay, so we kind of get the ending, hence the endgame uh, teaser at the beginning, uh, and this being the final uh, issue. Let's start with you, Wyatt. Tell me what you thought of the last issue in the series. Well, I'll tell you, I really was impressed with what seemed to be... Um, in my opinion, it's like the the artists were really involved more deeply, maybe more emotionally into the artwork than in the previous comics. I enjoyed the the use of the fire unlocking the jail cell. I thought that was kind of ingenious when they're saying that it's an impenetrable jail cell. How do they get out? 
And yet, Buddy asks Alex, hey, do you happen to have a match on you? And ends up setting the bedding on fire, which triggers the computer to unlock the the jail cell. Uh, I liked the con job with the paintings. I liked how they were able to basically hide the paintings with the light bulbs, the uh, black lights or whatever they used. Uh, and liked how Matt, you know, after scanning and looking through Spectrum, we see that it's just uh, the light bulbs using backlash to break them and see that the paintings have always been there. I actually liked that little distraction for Venom to actually do what they wanted to do, which was to get hold of the shuttle, get hold of the space crew, and and uh, do their own devious sabotage. I liked, and I think everybody will probably agree with this, but I really liked the head-to-head battle with the vehicles towards uh, towards the latter portion of this comic. Yes. Um, it seemed that Matt was directing it, though. Like, you take this, you take this, you take this. But I still liked all of that uh, that battle scene. That was, to me, it was really impressive. The only thing I would probably say that I disliked about it was what seemed to be, even for a comic, a short trip for the shuttle. It seems like, hey, I'm going up, drop off or modify the satellite. Oh, I'm back. Uh, just... I realize they're usually on a week vacation or something up there, but uh, in my eyes, just going up for, I don't know, an eight, ten hour trip, uh, just to me, doesn't jive, even even without a mask or 80s theme going on there. Um, I did also like the, the quite resemblance to uh, Ronald Reagan for the president. I wrote that down. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, that's really my take on it. Um, I like I said, I really enjoyed overall this comic. I think at best. Who's next? Uh, we'll kick it back over to uh, Eric. Uh, why I touched on a lot of the things that I noticed as well. Uh, the the weird up and down like twenty minute space flight was was a bit strange, but I kind of just let that go. Um, I it didn't matter too much to me. Uh, one of the things that just really blew me away was a few pages from the end when they're all fighting in uh, Vegas, we've got the bottom third or so of one of the pages is a the Mask and Venom are sort of facing off, squaring off in their vehicles, and they've kind of got a matchup for each vehicle, and it's really cool. In the In the front, we've got Rhino and Outlaw coming towards each other, and we've got uh, Manta, Switchblade, Condor, and Thunderhawk in the air facing each other. And it just, to me, it just, my imagination just ran wild thinking about that kind of just massive showdown. And to me, this was a little bit of the whole point of doing a four issue buildup. Because by the end of the four issues, everyone should be there. Exactly. Everybody should be ready to do it. And one of the things yeah. I liked is that in the show, I didn't always get, like, why doesn't Matt just call everybody? This will be easy. Call everybody. <laughs> how come Venom, how come Miles, I mean, I I don't understand Miles' budgeting concerns because clearly he's okay with destroying Switchblade, but he can't hire, like, two more minions. Um, but he frequently is undermanned. 
You know, there's how many times where would would one or two more Venom agents have really made a difference? Well, if he and in this stick out with the battles, you know, instead of running at the first sign of trouble in the cartoon, anyway. Right, but at least in this one, you're like, okay, there's like seven Venom agents there. You know, that pretty much everybody's out there. You've got Nash Gore, you've got Cliff, you've got Prana with Sly in it. Uh, everybody's there, ready to fight, and that was just a really great scene to me. I think that uh, then the the actual breakdown of that battle that followed was not a letdown either. You saw these great square-offs between the vehicles. And, uh, of course, Mask wins, but Venom at least puts up a bit of a fight. Uh, Jackhammer shoots Gator, and, you know, there's some other stuff going on. There's there's actually some give and take there, and it's not like in the cartoons where, you know, Sly gets a flat tire and they have to turn tail because Mask has clearly <laughs> destroyed all, all military military capabilities for Venom at that point. Um, I thought it was really, in general, great for wrapping up everything. It tied back into the original first issue story of this missile defense that I had kind of forgotten about until we got back to this fourth issue. I liked the usage of Ronald Reagan um, because it made it bigger. It made it a bigger deal to have the president there. Also, um, if you know anything about cartoon history. Ronald Reagan is really the reason that Mask and all the cartoons that basically were giant toy commercials were allowed to be allowed on the air. Because yeah. until he changed and changed some of the standards, uh, you couldn't make TV shows that basically were designed to sell toys. And I think the first was was He-Man, correct? He-Man was one of them. I'm not sure exactly I what the... I say that was one of the earliest ones. But yeah. yeah. It was it, it was because of him that we had uh, Mask, G.I. Joe, Transformers, GoBots, if you really want to get into that. Um, and, but <laughs> hey, just, now. Hey, easy now. There, there, was a, there were some <laughs> moments in GoBots that weren't too bad. But it, he, he really is the reason that 80s cartoons took the shape they did. Uh, so in retrospect, that's a really cool homage uh, to him. Mm-hmm. And even it's kind of almost eerie. I mean, that they're using the Challenger as the space shuttle, and in here it's getting <laughs> essentially blown up. Yeah, um, it was. You know, obviously it's, it wasn't intended to be like that, but it did give some kind of real world references and the likeness of of Reagan to the to the comic. So yeah, I, I did enjoy that as well. Um, those references, but. I don't know. I had some. Uh, I had a little issues here and there with this. There was some kind of James Bond moments that pulled out. The the biggest thing that I had was I did not think that those three Venom agents could drive a space shuttle or to fly it into outer space. <laughs> well, if anybody Maybe was, they, if anybody's piloting, it had to have been Vanessa. Well, yeah, because the other two are barely Goons. they're mouth breathers, right? They're <laughs> <laughs> that's good oh, I actually can't even stay on the bike <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, I had a hard time you know buying into that but you would, know would you rather them have just sent up Cliff Dagger <laughs> uh, no 
That's why I was glad at least there was, you know, I don't, I don't know about uh, Floyd. I know he, he can fly at least. He he has the uh, the vampire that flies. Right. You got Vanessa there too, but I don't, I don't know. I just didn't didn't buy into that. But like Wyatt said, I actually really bought into the concept of how they got out of the jail. Even at the time, it seemed kind of hokey, but I can see Matt setting up something like that. Yeah. Preserve human life or whatever. Um, the painting heist was a little weird, but, you know, I, I kind of bought into that more than, <laughs> more I, than those three flying. But I actually liked it because it was so ridiculous. It it was it was so ridiculous, yeah. but at the same time, it was within the world of mask ridiculous. Where, oh right. my goodness, we have a, a mystery, and there's no way to solve it except Spectrum now has a new power. And I'm like, well, that's that's mask. <laughs> I mean, when in doubt, yeah. just yell Spectrum and see what happens. Right, and they use one of the probably the most famous art museums in the world, uh, the Louvre. Right. So um, that was a good another kind of real world thing um and then kind of at the end at first i was kind of like oh miles why do you need to go after more money you know (laughs) just basically you could extort the entire world with this death ray or this uh what do they call it the ray of um whatever anyway He's got this laser beam from outer space that he can pretty much do what he wants with, and let me hit these casinos <laughs> for some cash, you know. Right. <laughs> so but he's destroying just... America's infrastructure. Doesn't he realize the dollar's not going to be worth that much either? <laughs> That's true. True, true. But uh, I don't know. That seemed to be a, a tie-in back to the cartoon where he's always going after the the fast grab. Yeah. Um. One of the one of the kind of things that the the scene towards the end of the comic where they're kind of they got them all lined up and their hands are up in the air and they're and the venom vehicles are uh, kind of all neatly in a row there and there doesn't show any kind of damage I'm like there's got to be some damage there or something you know right. at the very end but they didn't really didn't really <laughs> go into that too well but um yeah, just to echo what you guys said, I mean, I think this was I ranked this my second favorite, uh, with the the second issue being my my first. But, Egypt. Um, yeah, the Egypt one was was my favorite of the four, but this was my second favorite, um, just with the references and um, it did kind of there was a good wraparound back to the satellite story, you know, at the beginning. So, why you wanna? How would you rank this among the four? Well, I think I'd rank this number one, um, shy of the uh, little 20-minute space flight. I actually really enjoyed, uh, I think more so, this comic than the rest of them. Everything was a good tie-in. Um, even seeing the uh, Death Ray satellite being exploded, kind of looking like the sunset and one of the last insets here and. uh I want to do the happy ending, you know, at least Scott tried to, except that, you know, Matt said, well, that just means we still have nuclear war to basically remain and deal with. The front cover looked great. Uh, I liked seeing the detail that they put in here. You see uh, the side pouches on uh, most of the agents, like like Bruce, uh, Brad, 
dusty and so forth. I, I liked that. And I just couldn't help myself with the very back cover. I know you don't have it up there, but we have the uh, the book in hand. And I just couldn't help but see that there's a Go Voltron Force at the very end. <laughs> Love that. Okay, Eric, what did you... Uh... What was your final thoughts on the cover? And I love this cover. Uh, I know that it doesn't really tell us anything about the story, but for some reason, um, it has a very epic feel to me. Um, you know, Endgame, like, this is it. It's all coming down to what happens here, and get ready for it. Uh, I really like the artistry of it. Uh, they're wearing their masks. I want them to wear their masks. Uh, it's masks. Put them on. That's good for me. Um, one thing that kind of carried through all the issues uh, I didn't mention yet, uh, T-Bob's drawn slightly differently than he was in the cartoon. Yes, uh, one of the few that I would say seemed like a deliberate uh, divergence from the show. In the show, he's given more robotic, he's given like, uh, like diamond-shaped eyes, sort of. In this, he has more humanized they're circular they have pupils um and in the comic it felt like he was drawn to be specifically the comic relief but at the same time he's also in the comics a whole lot less which i approved of the (laughs) comic the comic relief should be relief you shouldn't need relief from the comic relief which in the cartoon sometimes you're like oh my gosh please get t-bob off the screen uh, so I really, I really liked that. Uh, I almost wish that maybe they had made, they had owned the ridiculousness of T-Bob in the cartoon that way a little bit more and done it a little less realistic. It might not have worked. It works in here because it's a comic book. The images aren't moving. Uh, I, I said I was not really in a good place to rate any of them except for number one being my least favorite, but I guess if I was hard-pressed, I would probably put issue four as, as my number one. Well, very good. Yeah, I um, as far as the cover goes, you know, it's kind of that moment where the hero takes care of business and he's walking slow motion towards the camera and a car blows up or something's happening in the background, you know, and he just doesn't care, mm-hmm. you know. And you've got these guys just kind of like... Uh, Alex is sitting there, hands crossed, and him and uh, Brad, everybody else is just kind of in that, you know, relaxed mode, and there's just bombs going off in the background. <laughs> so, it is a very cool cover. Um, it would probably be my favorite of the four. Um, even though it doesn't have that tie-in, I did like the, the Egyptian one, but it is it is very epic, I think, like you said, Eric. Very cool cover. So... So I think that's going to about do it as far as our as our review of the four uh, issues goes. Um, we did have one comment I wanted to add in, since uh, she's so good at always uh, adding a comment in, our buddy Anna. Um, we did do a poll, but there wasn't very many people that voted, so we won't give you the poll results, but I did want to include her comment in here. And uh, Anna says, I really enjoyed reading these comics. One of the things I like very much is how the story continues from comic to comic and that several different stories continue after one another while there's still a connection between them. I suppose this was the largest difference between the comics and the cartoon. The best parts were probably the introduction of Nash Gorey, 
on how he pretends to be a new member of Mask, and the part where the president is tricked to push a button that actually starts a high-energy particle beam that can destroy the planet. There's a lot of interesting information here, among other things, about the vehicles, and these comics give a better introduction to the characters and the vehicles than the TV show does. For instance, I didn't even know that Raven was a seaplane. I always thought it was some kind of boat or submarine. I also love the sketches of the Boulder Hill headquarters at the end of the first issue. The best issue was still the last one, so I decided to vote for that. The threat of the particle beam was a lot more serious than any of the other things Venom did in the four comics, and everything else was also meant as a distraction while they carried out this plan. I thought it was a little too easy for Mass to destroy the beam, and maybe they should have made the sequence with the beam a little longer, but this was still my favorite issue. And I'll agree with that. I, I, what didn't sit right with me was Rhino's missile being able to get through the atmosphere and up to the <laughs> up to the satellite. Far fetched. Yeah, but um, Anna seemed to be uh, on your uh, your page there, Eric. So, um, any final word from anybody as far as the the series as a whole and maybe how it it ties into the cartoon or into the uh, mini comics or the the second second uh, series that they published. Uh, one of the things this series really made me wish was that there was a multi-episode uh, story arc in the cartoon. Because it just gives you more of a chance to develop a story. And, uh, you know, as we know, mask stories are all done in 22 minutes or 24 minutes or whatever, you know, it times out to be. Uh, and I think it could have been a really cool opportunity for them if they had done that at some point to do a, a multi-part story. So I, I regret that that was never done. Uh, I didn't really think about it until reading through the comics again. That's that's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, you think about... Uh, well, G.I. Joe started out as a miniseries, you know, of, I think, five episodes. Right. And the same with Transformers. I know there were several two-parters in there. So that is strange that they never did at least do a two-parter uh, to be continued or something, you know, with Mask. What else did you have? Uh, my final thought on that was that for anybody who's interested in picking up these comics to own for their personal collection, um, I just wanted to let them know that they're readily available, especially on the internet, and they are also pretty affordable. You should be able to pick up all four issues on eBay for 10 or $15. So um, if you're looking to add something to your mask collection that's maybe a little bit different and a bit fun, these comics are a great and easy addition to that. And don't get ripped off by anybody who's telling you that it should be, you know, vintage set of comics for $75 yeah. or anything like that. I've actually purchased you know, multiple sets. We've given a couple away um, over the last couple of years on the blog. And, you know, if you're not looking for the... I'm not familiar with the grading scale with the comics, but if you're not looking for the high end where there's very little wear and tear, I mean, you can own these easily for around 10 bucks, all four of them. And the same goes for the others too. And you can, there's many comic uh, companies on eBay that use eBay that you can kind of tag team up with and actually get free shipping on right. a lot of these comics if they have them, you know, at one store. So, I've done that several times where I bought 
several issues from this and and even the second series, which I think is nine Correct. issues. Nine issues. Um, yeah. Um, there's a couple in there that are a little harder to find in the second series, that at least with my experience. But this uh, your best first series, your, really easy to collect. Your best bet's always going to be to try to buy them all in one group. You'll get a, sure. you'll get a better price, and uh, obviously you're only going to have to pay shipping one time. So, you know, okay. don't anybody yep. feel like they have to buy the first eBay auction that pops up. There'll be another <laughs> ten of them popping up right after that if you don't get the first one. Sure. Okay, so uh, let's kick it back over to Wyatt and see if you got anything else to uh, leave us off with. With all the uh, issues, the the thing that uh, I lack and I'm learning with the comics is there's more connections. You get to learn more about the characters. Um, there is the story within a story within a theme sometimes kind of going on where the cartoon was one story and that's all you got uh, in the 22-ish minutes. Uh, I've made the comment, especially in the beginning of our mass cast series, that I wish they would have had a beginning uh, where even in this art, this series, you see some kind of beginning there, like you pointed out, Eric, that um, to the new reader that has no idea about Mask, you see the sailors kind of joking about what's this car that's been craned onto the onto the uh, aircraft carrier. What's he going to do? Uh, wheelies? <laughs> uh, but it was it, it is neat to see. Uh, how the comics play out, and I wish they would have done that with the series. Uh, what I also enjoy, though, is seeing a couple little things that we incorporated into our script that we didn't even think about when, because we, we we focus primarily on the on the TV show points to incorporate, not so much the comics. But you see uh, a couple things within the comics that just haphazardly are in our script. Um, otherwise, uh, I've really enjoyed going through these comics. I, like I said before, I'm not really the, the I was never got captivated into the comic book scene. Um, the best I got was the Garfield and uh, Peanuts little things in the newspaper. That's about, that's about as captivated as I got. <laughs> I was in the same boat with you then. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really get into much as a kid either. But uh, like I said, I really, really enjoyed this and uh, glad that we could, travel along this journey even though it was six months later yeah it's this uh podcast has been a long time coming both of these guys will tell you that it's there's been a lot of a lot of stuff going on but uh i'm glad we finally all got to come together and do this podcast and it is it is kind of a new experience for me too where you know i didn't get these back in the day and uh and now as a collector you're wanting to go back and and uh and get these comics and read them and and see a little bit different side of mask that that you necessarily didn't grow up with. So I I do enjoy these series too, and I'm looking forward to someday going through the uh, the second series as well. Those nine uh, comics, which we were joking about a little bit off the air, are uh, maybe a little even far fetched for the uh, the mask universe <laughs> of the of the cartoon. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll. I definitely want to review those on MassCast uh, before too long. Um, and speaking of future podcasts, um, like I said, to, to kick the show off, we're hoping to do a short uh, podcast on the new website and 
um, just a little review of our plan going forward as uh, as agents of mask and then uh, hopefully I'm I'm actually looking forward to getting back into reviewing some cartoons yes. um, it's been a been a long time since I watched an episode um, and the next one slotted for us is uh, called panda power where venom abducts endangered panda bears from China and mask must rescue them so I don't know if that really gets me excited about getting back into <laughs> to reviewing. That sounds like a like a dinosaur boy or uh, <laughs> what was the one with the the plants? That was uh, I don't know the plant anyway, show. The plant show, yes. Um, I think those were kind of yeah. on the bottom of our list, but we'll see how this one turns you out. You guys need to get back on. You guys need to get back on the mics because. I'm out of stuff to listen to for my morning commute to work. That's what I was listening to. I've listened through all the podcasts that way. It's actually great to hear because, you know, like with Jason, um, I'll listen to our podcasts every now and then. Uh, even now, if I'm in, into a project, uh, case in point, I had to repaint our basement. And here I am jamming on my actual DJ sound system to MassCast. <laughs> But I was really like, it was like nostalgic to me because I enjoyed I enjoyed listening to to our conversations with with you, Eric, uh, and all our other guests that have that have come on. It's it's fun to to listen to the show. I have a forty minute commute to work in the morning, so the mass casts are pretty great for filling that that time. Right. It's a lot better to me than listening to the nonsense of talk radio in the morning or the the morning DJs who just want to talk about the real housewives of wherever. <laughs> I do. I listen to a lot of podcasts as well on, on the commute. I have a much shorter commute nowadays, but um, yeah, they do make for a nice companion in the car. And just so people know, as far as our new website goes, there is a MassCast archive on the new Agents of Mask site. And basically, you can go there, you click on the link, and it pulls up the actual uh, player right there in your browser. And then you can just basically right-click and save as, and you can save individual episodes if you want to keep those as either uh, MP3 or M4A, I believe. So check out the archive there, and obviously, there is a, you can go to the podcast page on there as well and see all of our different feeds. The new episodes do come to all of the feeds. Um, we're actually using the, the freebie uh, plan on uh, Buzzsprout, so they do disappear after a few months on, on iTunes and Buzzsprout. But if you use Stitcher Radio or you use Mixcloud and now you know go onto the website, you can, you can download those direct and keep them forever if you would like. So, uh, so I check do. those out. Um, Eric, again, appreciate your time. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Uh, yeah. uh, we had a great time tonight talking about the comics, and uh, we look forward to having you back on again. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. I hope the uh, listeners out there feel that the wait was at least partially worth it. Uh, <laughs> I know that we all really wanted to get to this. It was not because we didn't want to, but as I'm sure everybody knows, sometimes life gets in the way of life. So <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. Some I, I hope we'll be under our control. I hope we can do this again, and I hope that it's not six months away. No, no. And I think we, I think we kind of made that promise to ourselves, at least. Me and Wyatt, and uh, 
and hopefully we'll get uh, we'll get more episodes cranked out on a regular basis um, as we move forward. And that this was kind of the, the another part of that launching the new website is to to kind of get a fresh start and and, and try to find more time and, and do more episodes on a regular basis. So. Anyway, so for uh, Wyatt and for Eric, um, this is Jason. Appreciate everybody tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next time on MassCast.